0: This podcast was sponsored by Jasmine Sarai, where perfume and scented oils are open for all, females, males, and non-gender conforming. It embodies, quote, the union of jasmine and jazz wafting in unison through the inner walls of Sarai. Get luxurious smells of a fresh citrus oceany smell with Merad, a citrus floral smell with a lovely gritty wood base called Neon Graffiti, and many other scents. Use the promo code PR Canada in all caps to save $10 on your purchase. I repeat, promo code PRCANADA in all caps for $10 off. Visit www.jasminsurai.com today. I'm Audrey Mann, and this is The Polite Racist. Here, we explore the racism in Canada through history and recent events through storytelling. My aim is to tell you about the secret situation in Canada and why it matters. I hope that you stay tuned, be inspired to make a change, and to be aware of this situation. Now, on to today's topic. Since this is the first episode, we should start on base 1. Why explore this topic? Well, racism in Canada is well hidden to the public. So today we'll be looking at history and an event happening in real time. They are starkly different, so stay strong as I tell you the following. I know it's heartbreaking to hear. First, we'll talk about enslavement in Canada. Yes. You heard me right enslavement in canada i'll be discussing about its origins irony and who was unfortunately involved some definitions to know beforehand is that i'll be referring to the events as enslavement rather than slavery this is because enslavement is a more accurate word to use than slavery as its literal definition is quote being stolen and used without permission without agreement slavery on the other hand does not specify Hence, to respect and honor those who had to go through this unspoken tragedy, I will use the proper terminology. For this part, trigger warnings include mentions of abuse, death, violence, rape, trauma, suicide, and enslavement. I will tell this through a second-person perspective, which is the you-your perspective. The second topic is the situation in Nova Scotia. Which you may have heard on the news, the moderate livelihood fisheries with the Mi'kmaq in Nova Scotia. As a reminder, the Mi'kmaq are the Algonquian indigenous nation who live in Mikamiki or in Atlantic Canada and the Gaspé Peninsula. You may have heard this from last year. If not, the Mi'kmaq are fishing for lobster during off season times because they have the rights as discussed in 1999. However, There's retaliation from non-Indigenous groups that burn lobster pounds, burn the Mi'kmaq's fishery trucks, and even had the nerve to assault the Mi'kmaq chief, Mike Sack. Despite it being many months, the incidents of hate crimes and violence have only gone up and has not changed in the slightest. I will continue from where the news left off and explain to you the history, situation, and what has been done to stop this. Trigger warnings will include racial prejudice, violence, and abuse. You may have noticed me saying "Micmac" and Mi'kmaq, which refer to the same people, but "Micmac" is plural with Mi'kmaq being singular. This will also be said in the second person perspective. With this, let's begin on the first topic, Enslavement in Canada. I think I'm safe to say that we all have loved ones. Family, friends, lovers, co-workers. Did I put an image in your head? Think of their lovely faces, their smiles, and your memories together. That time you went to eat some food, looked up at the sky. Saw their smile. Lovely, isn't it? Well, imagine this. Someone knocks at your door. You let them in. Say, hello, how are you? They don't say a word. Not even a breath. As they just march in. As early as the 1600s, this is when it began. That visitor, well, they walk into your house, your room, see everyone you ever loved, and destroys it, takes its match, and lights it. Fires are all around where you stood, where you lived. The smiles are now faces of fear, faces now twisted in burns. You begin to forget all the happy memories as it all burns down. You rush out, hug your closest loved ones, loving that they are safe. Loving this moment, as the life you once knew burns behind you. Then, there's more. There's way more where that came from. More come and take your parents, siblings, friends, lovers, cousins, everyone you ever knew and loved. No matter how much you held them tightly, they ended up ripping them from your grasp. You're alone. So alone. You now wish to hold your loved ones again. You want them to be with you again, but they too take you. As they place your hands in shackles and hid your legs to make you go faster onto a boat, you smell the smoke from where you once lived and how you once lived. But that fire burned it all down. It's gone. Gone. Black and indigenous people were stolen from their homes, their lives now escaping them. This was first documented in the early sixteen hundreds. Other sources state that it was earlier for the indigenous, that it was fourteen hundreds to fifteen hundreds. Millions of people for hundreds of years would never know the lives they once lived. You're taken to a large ship when the captain touches your shoulder and descends down. You wanted this captain to stop. Stop touching you. Stop burning you with an inhumane look. But instead. You're naked as you're inspected like a piece of expensive cloth of fabric. Your arms are outstretched as they touch and glide down every pore, every inch of you. No consent, no warning, just staring and touching. You wiggled in rebellion, but they just held you tighter until everything was sore. Slowly your dignity, your sense of self was being stripped from you. You realize now, these people, they did not see you as human. Just an object. Just a resource. Just as a property meant to be sold. You think about this as you're put onto the ship. You notice that females were grouped together on top of deck, with males at the bottom. Either way, The iron shackles on the wrists and ankles tells you about the chances of escape. No one should have to go through this, including you. You're strapped together like fish in a can, like cargo on a boat, like goods traveling from place to place. You're trapped in this unfamiliar place. As the ground below you moved, shifted, you felt your stomach churn by this unfamiliarity. As you dug your mouth into your elbow to prevent acid from spilling, you feel the wrath of the waves as you must let the acid flow. You shake from the cold, fear of catching one, but most of all, scared. What about your loved ones? Are they sharing the same fate as you? Your thoughts plague the question of survival, but you're given no closure. The sun rose and fell so many times. Felt like years, but the ship crew who fed you twice a day didn't grow a single gray hair. The boat's movements were rocky all the time, from the smell of excrement, vomit, and decay. The room smelled foul, like rotting garbage. Sometimes, the crew would drag you on the floor. Forcing you to get on deck with the other enslaved women, men, and children with you. They screamed for you to run on the spot, to exercise, even if it was clear no one had the energy. While doing so, you could see in the back that people are carried behind you. You look back and see someone. Who you never talked to, never understood, but saw their small smile once, you can tell that they were a warm individual. They slept. They slept in the crew member's hand. As they stood on the edge of the ship, the crew member's face has no sympathy, no warmth, nothing. Just a blank stare, a disappointed one, as they toss them overboard, letting them sink down to the bottom of the ocean with a splash. Sometimes, during these times or when they were on deck, a living breathing individual, jumped into those murky and uncertain waters. Even children, even women, even men. Everyone, no matter who, had the possibility to to drown in those fatal waters. In the containments you stayed at, it was hot, humid, filled to the brim with people in shackles. You hear a sneeze, a cough, the rashes dotted on skin. Worried. You turn your head as much as you can. But it's all consuming. As the sun falls, the foul stench only continues to grow. The only thoughts you reject are that you too will be smelling decayed. If you were seen as a female, you were sometimes able to walk around the ship but this was worse. You looked out of the sea, wondering of where your loved ones were. As something touched you from behind, you turned your head, receiving a slap, a push, a shove. Unable to move, pinned down, you were assaulted and vulnerable to those who stole you from your home. The little food and water you got from the conditions, from everything and anything. You couldn't find the strength to fight back. There was no more yelling, screaming, kicking. Just cold, empty, and hopelessness. The only hope left is to have your loved ones safe. But even then, you knew that all hope was lost. Then, it stopped. The feeling of waves was no more. You were forced up, realizing that 20% of who was originally here was gone. They all died from disease, malnutrition, or suicide. This was a part of the transatlantic slave trade, which is known as the trading triangle between Africa, Europe, and North America. Many seem to forget or not know that Canada too was included in this trade, as lives were traded for simple goods like ink or clothes from the ship. You were transferred to an unknown land. It became a blur to you now. You were silenced. Had no choice but to follow. If not, you were hit. Forced to be vulnerable, screamed at, and even sexually abused. Not wanting any more. You had to become undead. A living object with no spirit. No soul. You went from the captain to quote-unquote buyers. They speak in a gibberish and they look at you with a focused glare, almost as a piece of expensive fabric being examined. You heard a clatter of coins as you were still naked, dragged into an unfamiliar area. At a large estate, you were kicked, hit to go as fast as you can in your metallic bonds to your back. You observed what others did, and were handed a basket with rags. No communication was given but you knew the expectations. You knew what was expected to you because you looked different, because of something you couldn't change, because you were seen as weak and unworthy of voice and power. You wanted to scream, shout, cause a riot, cause any change to disobedience, but you felt yourself get hit. You ran off in a fear of being hit to put on your rags and get to work, although no one was there. Many enslaved people were expected to forcefully work under their capturers and those who quote-unquote bought them. They were seen as property and not as people. They were given no human rights or life outside of work and were often physically, verbally, and sexually abused. Sexually abused was more common to females, especially indigenous, where about 57% of indigenous enslaved people were young girls. Over time, you mindlessly worked. You lost your drive. Everything from your last birthday to the memories of your first friend. They were all burned to ash. All was gone. From there, you were given to another to work and serve at a home. Many Canadian Indigenous people were around you. As they were seen as quote-unquote common and abundant goods. Time seemed to stand still, had no purpose. You just knew what you were programmed to do. You heard it all, but said nothing. In 1747, the request to trade two indigenous enslaved for one black enslaved was rejected for the simple reason of compromising fur trades. You see some of the captives hit walls in anger and cry silently, for the dead skins of animals mattered more than an alive one. In the 1750s, the fur trade was not as popular, causing many indigenous individuals to be simply killed or tossed out due to not having a purpose. In 1759, you felt something again. A whiff of fragrant, fresh relief. You were hopeful, as the British took over. They would help, right? In about 1777, you heard of enslaved people running away to the newly abolished American state, Vermont. There were searches aimed to drag back their property, using the police or other government agents. Some escaped, some mysteriously died, and others were found and silenced. You wonder when Canada would be abolished, if this pain will ever end. You were sold and traded off to a butcher. From there, you realized that enslaved people were expected to work in whatever conditions were given to them, without hesitation. From religious places to the common store, there were hidden price tags at a person's throat, suffocating eating, and disintegrating them. It was about 1790 when you first heard that there were about 1,200 to 2,000 African enslaved peoples in the Maritimes. You felt your soul move, for the first time in a while, but couldn't show it. You kept a blank stare, not the slightest bit of anger to be seen, as you followed the next customer's orders. In 1793, there was finally change. In 1793, the Anti Slavery Act of Upper Canada, known as Ontario, was passed, meaning that the enslaved who were ages 25 and older were free and made it illegal to trade and sell enslaved people anymore. In 1825, Prince Edward Island completely abolished enslavement. In 1831, newspapers told stories of an underground railroad. Finally, on August 1, 1834, Slavement was abolished nationally. However, the damage was permanent. They did this since over 150 years and had 4,815 enslaved in that year alone. 2,683 of them indigenous, 1,443 were black, and 59 or unknown. Indigenous enslavement made two-thirds of Canada's enslaved population. Once you were free, you were quiet. The pain would never go away, you thought. Years and years passed when people looked at you with a price tag and asked a moral favors of you in exchange for money. You felt it. Everyone did. It said free on paper, but not in the mines. In 1913, you heard noises in the street, cheering, screaming. You look at some who looked like you. We're free! They scream. We're free from America, free from discrimination. God bless the Underground Railroad. God bless this wonderful British colony. They cried. As they shout in delight, We're finally free! Something in you revolted. You thought back to the ships. The vomit. The abuse. The cold stare. The ashes. The life you once lived. The expectations. You walked away in tears. Hating how it's not acknowledged. You're suffering unheard. Unseen. Although it was abolished, you felt alone naked and cold. This can't even be shown today by the lack of discussion by the government of Canada. While Canada has officially apologized for the discrimination of two-spirited LGBTQIA people and the Chinese head tax, they never did so for the 150 years of enslavement in Canada. Never mentioned never said just hidden I feel like I got y'all in tears from that but it's truly a tragedy we'll talk more about this and the situation in Nova Scotia after a word from our sponsors. The Polite Racist is sponsored by Mumgree! Having trouble finding nut butters that are safe and very healthy for you and your incoming baby? Or maybe you just can't find a good tasting nut butter without the fillers? Mumgree's got you covered with many flavors like chocolate peanut butter, pistachio chocolate almond butter, or just the classic smooth peanut butter. They also have a podcast called Mumgree, where they explore all areas of Canada through race, entertainment, and parenthood. Check out www.mumgree.com to shop for wonderful nut butters after the show. Welcome back to The Polite Racist. From where we left off, that was um, a heavy story to start off with. We talked about enslavement in Canada and took us through how it was in Canada for 150 years. Having thousands of people being forcefully taken away, struggles, the hate, the discrimination that many Black and Indigenous people had to face. And not to mention this in history textbooks, not even talking about or apologizing for it. It's really disappointing, sickening even. However, we'll further talk about what Canada should do during the discussion period. Now, I must come out with another story. One you may have seen or heard. But despite it only appearing in the headlines for a couple of months, this has not been resolved. I'm talking about the situation in Nova Scotia right now concerning the Mi'kmaq. For some stats, many Mi'kmaq people state that the original population was 3,500 to 35,000 people and lived in Mikamiki, the area from the eastern coast of the Atlantic to the Gaspé Peninsula. The Mi'kmaq and many indigenous nations had their own government that has a resemblance to Canada's government today, aiming for democracy rather than dictation and focusing on sustainable survival. This is where we begin. In 1632, you were fishing with your friends and family. You watched as the fish swam through crystal clear waters. It wasn't as much as a few months ago, as the fish population in this area wasn't as strong this time of year. This shows that you all had to move somewhere else for the season. Through historical documents, there was an understanding that Mi'kmaq people have a deep connection to water, coastal areas, and fish. While the Mi'kmaq also hunted and foraged on the ground, they are recognized to be one of the most skilled in using water to their advantage. Many Mi'kmaq summer villages were in Nova Scotia, And 35 out of 46 of these villages were on coastal zones. In 10 months, 90% of food and resources came from the water. After this successful fishing trip, your friends saw a pillar of smoke. The two of you investigated as you heard chattering. It was a campsite with a fire in the middle and others around it. In the ocean, you see a large ship. Sails closed for the day. They notice you, and seem different than you, and speak something you don't understand. You immediately get on the defensive. Who are they? However, you notice that they are traders that the other nations often discuss about. While the two of you did not communicate, you showed them some fish to trade. They were confused at first, but handed you a pot in exchange. The two of you exchanged these items, and went on your way. These were the French settlers, specifically the Jesuit Relations. This was a group of French settlers who had the aim to give updates to the French about the indigenous people in Canada. Although they had a biased lens of the Mi'kmaq, they were one of the first and well-known for recording the lifestyles of the Mi'kmaq. In 1713, the British and the French were fighting over ownership of Mikamiki which is known as Acadia to the French and Nova Scotia to the English. So, you and the other nations have to pick a side. British or French? After your experience with the traders with the fish in the pot, among other interactions, you are led to believe that the French are not as bad as the British. While they both are destroying land and disrespecting many nations, The Wabanaki Confederacy has to pick a side to survive. Due to sharing similar worldviews, ease of trading, and perhaps the influence of jesus relations, the Mi'kmaq, along with other nations, decided to side with the French. With this, the Mi'kmaq and French had a good relationship. However, when the British banned the French from the Maritimes, this is when the Mi'kmaq faced further hardships. A night in 1749, you woke up to screaming. You ran out, ready to fight the threat at your village. You were faced with a person holding a gun with a few others. Your loved one was kneeling at gunpoint. Mortified, you tried to negotiate as you reached for a large fish that took several hours to catch. You knew that both parties knew of its value, both spiritually and financially. You approached them. But they step back. You approach the person again, but no movement. One of them takes the fish from your hand as you hear a sound. As you stand there, stunned, tears flowing down your cheeks, they leave without punishment. With it, others wake up and start grieving with you. In 1749, Halifax founder Edward Cornwallis started the scalp bounty, which was that anyone who kills or captures any Mi'kmaq person gets money from the government. Like hunting, the hunter received money based on gender, age, and weight. This, and other reasons, left many people to be fearful and angered by the British, causing retaliation. Many Mi'kmaq captured boats and fought in battles with the British. Treaties were made in attempt for peace, but never were long-lasting. Finally, in 1752, the Peace and Friendship Treaty was signed. It states that the British would respect the rights of Mi'kmaq people and give them a good livelihood in terms of resources or money. This was strictly for peace and no land was given up. I emphasize that no land was given up. Despite this, Systemic racism was still very visible. Then, in 1819, nationwide residential schools came into play. Now, let me explain how this terrible idea played a huge role in the fishery situation today. So imagine someone told you that residential schools were for educational purposes, specifically for your quote-unquote uncivilized kind, as they took all your resources for blankets, firewoods, and building the school. Schools were placed in common places to fish, and coastal lines' waterways were blocked from you, making it hard to access. Dams were built and stopped the way you lived, the way you knew more acts were passed and you can now tell what was really happening for example an act to encourage the gradual civilization of indian tribes of this province and to amend the laws respecting indians was signed in 1857 and an act for the gradual enfranchisement of indians the better management of indian affairs and to extend the provisions of the act 13th Victoria, Chapter 42 in 1869. From there, residential schools were the reason as to why you were not seeing your loved ones, why you were starving, shivering in the cold on a barren land and guarded waters. You were trapped from any way out of this situation. Now resourceless, now disabled, now without those you love. What were you to do? You asked them. You asked the government to help you. They promised to protect you and your livelihood. When you asked, you were given one blanket to share with all your loved ones. But the only warmth you felt was not the blanket, but the anger that dwelled in you. Still, you and many others fought. Fought for respect. Fought for being independent. Fought to be yourself. And what did you get? A law the centralization policy in 1940s, forcing you to settle in two areas with either the Escazoni or the Shubenakani. You didn't want to go. How could you give up like that? After all you fought for, all you stood for. They threatened you. They would take away your indigenous status if you did not comply. Your heart sobbed. Knowing if they took your indigenous status, you'd be gone. You hated that you relied on the government's resources, but if you were to give up your status, you and many indigenous people would lose any chances at survival. With that, you had to comply and go through social and financial struggles of the overpopulated and underprepared area. You withstood this. You and your loved ones wanted to go back to the life where you weren't starving, where you had free waterways, where you were free to fish and travel. But you were stuck here, chained to this area where you lose all you have. Finally, there was a glimmer of hope, a spark. In 1999, the government said that the Mi'kmaq people will be given the right to fish to moderate livelihood. And that those details would be described later. Finally! Something! So you waited. Two? Five? Ten? Twenty-one years passed. Huh? Enraged. Disappointment. Worry. What on earth happened? They'd say that they would make arrangements, but never did. So you screamed, yelled. More joined you in the fight for rights. Through hardships and searching through documents, you and other Micmac people decided to make your own industry. It's in September of 2020, the Mi'kmaq made their own regulations under the moderate livelihood fishery. Under this, the Mi'kmaq people can fish outside of commercial season to allow themselves to make a good living. This. This exact reason why. The history. The origins. This is why the Mi'kmaq community are fighting to make this happen. To be able to live. And to be able to enjoy the lives they lead. However, retaliation. Some people who did not understand the struggle who did not go through these hardships personally. These groups are non-Indigenous commercial fishers, those who are under a false impression. You wake up in the morning to smell smoke, to smell ash. Fear clashes in your heart as you run outside, hoping it's not what you expect, hoping that the warmth is from your adrenaline rather than what you think it is, but it's what you thought. All of your lobster, all of your hard work, your living, your way of survival is burnt without hesitation, without remorse. Hate crimes against Micmac peoples began from when the fishery was established, including burning of vans, pounds, stolen lobsters, and assault. It was recognized in the news from September of 2020 to December of 2020. The government promised to protect you and your other Mi'kmaq loved ones who built this fishery from scratch, from hardships. The commercial fisher said that the indigenous were going to be rich and overfished without supervision in the off-season, although it was disproven by the rules of the fishery. It is called a moderate livelihood fishery for a reason. The RCMP, the police, the city came together. This news of arson and assaulting others based on one's unchangeable factor is told as unacceptable. And it is. But when the situation was made clear, everyone left the news, the government, the police. You felt alone once again, as the government has done nothing to be neutral. They didn't stop. These hate crimes against you. They say that they're taking action, but words of promise can only do so much. So one writes to the United Nations, and the United Nations tells the Canadian government to step up and help you. Help the Mi'kmaq people from these hate crimes. The deadline is July 14th, 2021. The only question remains is that will canada step up and take responsibility the few that are still reporting these incidents state that the situation has only gone worse and is still happening presently in may of 2021 and not better crimes will not stop until someone steps up someone someone who promised has to step up for your entire opportunity of a moderate living, to live, to breathe, to smile, is at risk for the Mi'kmaq and future generations. So now we discuss the situations we talked about today and what should be done. In terms of the history of enslavement in Canada, we must be made more aware of it, recognize it, and apologize and reconcile for it. It's not enough to take the knee and to know that it happened. It's necessary to do what Canada does best, say sorry and reconcile. During February 18th, 2018, Ms. Villamarsh, a founder of the Africa Awareness Initiative, stated to the Senate that Canada should officially apologize and reconcile for their actions. She said the following, and I quote, what we're asking for includes two steps. First, recognition and an apology. Then demonstrate leadership so that other Western countries that have had a slave trade do the same thing. Personally, I think this is admirable and true. We Canadians seem to forget our past, the connected past we have with the states. The British and the French influence, the transatlantic slave trade, the sufferings we did to our own people, our species, we forget it all. And we must stop and remember that Canada is not different. We're hidden. If anything, That's the only difference between the countries. We have to stop hiding. Stop hiding in the shadows and bring it out into the light and talk about it and learn about it. If we keep it in the shadows, we'll get nowhere. And for the situation in Nova Scotia, we have to recognize the issue there. We need the government to stop hiding and choose a side like how the Mi'kmaq did between the French and the English. If they were to stay neutral, they knew that the battles would continue, and that their lives would have been changed for the worse. No one cannot and should not sit neutrally forever. It's just not responsible. The government is supposed to take responsibility for their actions and help its people. This includes indigenous. They should never be forgotten. But what can we? As citizens do, it's simple. Talk. Talk about the situation. We have to talk about the situation and bring it to the forefront. Say it how it is. That we aren't better than America. We're just better at hiding. Hiding it from the world that we are secretly racist as well. When Canada recognizes this, And acts responsibly for its past and present behavior, then I suspect that we'll see change more strongly. If you have the resources, you can do more than talk amongst your small group. You can run a march, a protest, write a letter to the government. If you have the resources, see what you could do in your community, your province, your territory to begin this conversation and take the first step where others could not. This not only helps those hurting, but just makes this country simply better. That, that is the start and beginning of change. I really hope that you take this information to heart and talk about what the true situation in Canada is. From Canada's history with enslavement of Indigenous and Black people removed from history textbooks, not formally apologizing and reconciling for the situation, to the history and still present racism for the Mi'kmaq people just to be able to breathe and live fulfilling lives. And we have the ignorance to say we're not racist. Let's stop lying. In the end, we're just hidden. But under that sorry is America's very same roots. We need to rip it off and say it. Canada is the polite racist. Thank you for joining me, and see you next episode, where we'll talk about the COVID-19 pandemic and how BIPOC communities have been affected by it. This episode will be jam-packed with insightful information and will show of how the pandemic has hit these communities. Until then, stay informed and stay safe. This is Audrey Mann on The Polite Racist.